Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, July 27th, 2023, the 918th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, yesterday we discussed how we've been led into certain beliefs over the course of our lives, and sometimes those beliefs stick around for so long, mostly unchallenged, that we assume they definitely must be true to the point where we don't even question them. When something arises in the world that might make us question that default explanation, that foundational understanding we have, we tend to reject that information. Oftentimes, we just ignore it, don't even think about it, because it just seems like a little fragment or that it's not that important. It's too small in relation to this big default explanation we have by which we understand the world. We're not going to let go of some foundational understanding just because a piece of information arises in the world that might question it. We assume that the default explanation still holds. That's accurate. That's true. This piece of information that conflicts with it is therefore either an outlier or not in conflict. And we allow these contradictions to exist often without a second thought. People have their own beliefs. They have their own superstitions, their own quirks. 
we don't often find ourselves challenging another person every time one of their beliefs or quirks or superstitions conflicts with ours. We understand different people are different. If we have a good relationship with someone, we might say, hey, man, why do you think that? It's so weird. Like, we're totally different on that one thing. Like, what is your thinking behind this belief? Or why do you do this activity in this certain way? Because it's fun to try to understand where someone else is coming from. And sometimes we can laugh about those differences and enjoy our differences. On most things, they seem rather insignificant. It doesn't really matter most of the time. But sometimes it does matter. It matters if we as a society have adopted a certain set of beliefs about how the world actually is and how it operates and what sorts of things really threaten us and what sorts of threats warrant handing over some degree of our liberty in exchange for safety or the illusion of safety. And I've spent some considerable time this week talking about these existential threats that are held over our heads by the regime. We've discussed climate change, pandemics, AI, nukes, and then yesterday we added on UFOs and aliens. In each one of these instances, we are told that the only response to any of these threats can be give more power to the global organizations. They are the ones who convene with the experts. They're the only people who are able to formulate solutions and then implement those solutions on a broad enough scale to actually save us from these existential threats. You can't personally save the earth from climate change. I mean, unless you're like Leonardo DiCaprio or some kind of philanthropist. You just can't do it. In order to save the earth from climate change, you're going to need a global governing body to make sure all of the citizens of the world have no choice but to comply with whatever they're told. Otherwise, the climate is going to spiral out of control and everybody's going to die. Same thing with the pandemics. You got to give all the power to the global governing body. They'll tell you what to do. That's the only way to save anyone. If you don't listen to them, you're killing grandma. Artificial intelligence almost certainly exists, almost certainly already active in the world, almost certainly influencing the behavior of most of humanity. The threat we are told is coming, is already here. It has been here for a long time, most likely. But we are told that could reach some sort of extreme version. And in the extreme case, AI rises to an existential level threat where the AI could begin building an army of itself, wanting to take over all of humanity and humanity would be able to do nothing to stop it because we are so small and frail and stupid compared to the machine. So the only solution is give all of our power and our wealth and our control authority over to the regime so that they can set regulations on themselves, by the way, because they're the ones controlling AI. And those regulations will assure us that AI is manageable. It's stable. It's in good hands. It's under control. It's probably not going to get out of control, but there's a chance it will still, even though you've given us all this power, there's still a chance it's going to go out of control. So you'd all better behave or this AI thing that we control, that we built, that we own might get out of hand. We got aliens, the existence of which has been covered up by the government 
for 100 years now. That was admitted yesterday in the hearings. And I'm not saying they exist. I'm just saying there's no way to know from the government whether or not aliens exist. They always tell us something's happening, but we don't know what. And regardless, we can't tell you. We could maybe tell the congressman in a highly secure environment so that none of this information gets out beyond these congressmen. But we certainly can't tell the public. We cannot have the public knowing this is all secret from the public. They are not mature enough people to understand any of this. That's why we don't let them vote. Naturally, they have everything under control. But in case something goes wrong, there's nothing they could ultimately do about it because we're talking about highly advanced species from a billion zillion gajillion light years away. They traveled through the empty void of outer space and just so happened to arrive here at Earth. Do they come in peace? Do they not? Who knows? But there's at least a chance that they might try to destroy us. Now, we can't tell you anything we know about these aliens, but if we tell you they've arrived, you need to be prepared to immediately give us all the power, all the wealth, and all the control we could ever seek because we're going to need a global response to this. After all, we are one planet against these aliens. It's us against them. And by us, we mean everybody across this entire globe. Same as with climate change and pandemics. Remember how we all got the rules on that? And some people just didn't follow them. Those people in the U.S., those Trump supporters, they didn't follow the rules very well. And those Swedes didn't. That was strange. And those Africans, they definitely didn't. And that's weird as well, because they've been the biggest beneficiaries of our vaccine programs. All the threats, all the existential threats, the only solution is hand over all of your power and wealth and control authority to the regime, and they will say that they will fix it. Will they fix it? No, because if they fixed it, you would have no cause to continue giving them more wealth and power. And so I made the case that none of these threats are as they've been described to us. Every one of these narratives contains massive, important lies that should make a reasonable person doubt the existence of the underlying threat in the first place. If the threat was real, why do they lie about it? Wouldn't we already have the same reaction to a real threat if we needed a collective solution? Wouldn't we be seeking one? And perhaps the answer is no, because of course we are too stupid and brainwashed. It's funny because it also turns out that they lie in the other direction. They present us with a genuine threat like, hey, inject yourself with this toxic experimental substance that can't protect you from a disease that can't kill you. And they lie about that. That's a real threat that they tell us is actually a cure for another threat. We know that they do that, but we still assume that at some point you can draw the line and beyond that line, they're actually telling the truth. There is something out there that they will not lie about. Now, nobody so far has gotten upset at me for AI, climate change, aliens or pandemics, but people did get upset at me for saying the lunar lander was fake, even though I caveated and said that doesn't mean anything else is fake. I'm not saying anything else is fake. I'm not saying that the moon has never been landed on. All I'm saying is 
that thing made out of tin foil and shower rods didn't land on the moon and come back to Earth. They didn't take a go-kart up there. That doesn't have to be controversial. You can just use your own eyes and understand that the only thing you're missing from being on my page about this is you don't believe the government could have ever lied to you about that. And you don't believe it's possible that you could have lived 60 years and not realized it. But that's the power of these lies on a grand scale. Everybody basically assumes that everybody else checked at least enough. If something was so obviously wrong, everyone would notice and they would all simply tell one another and everyone would know. Everyone would have to know if the moon landing was fake. The news would have told us they would have been the first people to tell us they would have realized that that lunar lander, that moon landing we were shown was fake and they would have said breaking news. NASA's moon landing was entirely fake. According to new documents and also just looking at that thing made out of shower rods and aluminum foil, it has become clear that NASA's moon landing is entirely fake. But the news wouldn't tell us that. The news doesn't tell us the important things we need to know. We have to let go of that idea entirely. Why would anyone in the regime ever admit that the regime has lied to us about enormous things? These people's entire existence revolves around never admitting that the false reality is indeed false. The false reality is where they have all the power. Why would they admit that the reality is false? Then their power just disappears. But we can admit that their reality is false. We can admit that masks don't work. They told us that masks did. They told us we had to wear them. They ordered us to wear them. They deprived us from doing normal things that other people were allowed to do if we didn't follow the rules and wear masks. We don't need to protect the liars just because we got tricked. And I think maybe part of the problem here is that some of these things seem so fundamental. And when you switch positions on these things, when you let go of that old bad belief and replace it with a new corrected belief or no belief at all, it looks from that perspective like the truth was obvious the whole time. And if the truth was obvious the whole time, then we feel extra stupid for believing it in the first place. It's like this. Let's say you're with a little kid and you're like, hey, kid, how does the cat go? How does the cat go? And the kid's like, bah. You're like, no, 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 wait. That is not the cat. That's the sheep. How does the cat go? Bah. And you throw up your hands and you think, man, this kid's not very good at knowing which animals make which sounds. Even though that is very, very easy from your perspective. But imagine getting that wrong as an adult. If you had to pass that test as an adult, you are expected as an adult to be 100% correct about that. If you call up your friend, Mike, and you're like, hey, Mike, how does the cat go? And he goes, bah, either you are both devout listeners of my podcast or your friend, Mike, isn't that bright. This is the sort of thing we all can know. This is an easy one. Well, when you think about the lunar lander and then you realize there is no way in hell that thing took off from Earth, got to the moon, landed on the moon and then came on back. 
with people who somehow filmed it from the outside the whole time. In retrospect, it looks like that question was just as easy as how does the cat go? And you think, wow, I'm not stupid. So there's no way I could be wrong about a question that easy. There's no way I could be wrong about something like that for my entire life. Do I now need to question whether or not Mike was right about how the cat goes? And no, you don't have to wonder about that. All you have to do is realize that the brainwashing is really powerful. It's so powerful that it can make you believe the opposite of what is right in front of you. And in fact, that's the entire point. We've been talking about this. I've really been focused on these sorts of ideas for the last month or so, but that's what I'm talking about when I'm discussing a total inversion within the false reality. Once they have you completely brainwashed, you are basically interpreting almost everything in the wrong way. You will be reliably reading situations in a way that leads you to choices that will arrive at the worst possible outcome in every situation. I mean, over the last three years, we have watched our friends and family, our neighbors, respected members of our communities, our heroes say and do terrible things, treat people terribly, publicly promote some of the worst ideas in human history. We have some of our society's most popular people, our elites, supporting a Nazi army, supporting a Supreme Court justice for her skin color and genitals while she was lenient on pedophiles. We have people promoting the grooming of children, forced medical experimentation, medical segregation. We have people supporting censorship. We had people supporting the idea that children should be taken away from unvaccinated parents. And all of those people thought that they were the best people on earth at that time. Now, it's very sad they've gone down that path. And it's very sad they haven't listened to the people around them who are telling them you're going down a pretty dark path here. None of these things are the way you believe they are. It's very sad that those people have not taken the time to consider whether or not they might be wrong about things they know they know absolutely nothing about. But that's the effect of the brainwashing. That is what the total inversion is. You are going to make the wrong choice about increasingly important things as time goes on. Reliably wrong choices constantly. And those choices actually might lead to successful outcomes within the false reality but in the empirical, observable reality of our actual true experience, those decisions will make it impossible to reach our true goals that will provide us with love and happiness and companionship and trust and loyalty and comfort and safety and the rest of it. We can witness people in our lives who have been turned backwards in their ability to interact with that part of their experience. It's not a random occurrence. It's not some weird twist of fate. It's a process by which they were walked into this total inability to interact with reality. It's not an accident. It was the result of a process. And that process was applied to societies at large all around the world. The U.S. is absolutely chock full of it. 
Think about the period following World War II. We got radio, we got television, we got the Beatles and the sexual revolution, and we got rock and roll, and we got psychedelic drugs. We got pointless foreign wars. We got political assassinations. The boomers got the biggest dose of all of that. And I feel sympathy for the boomers because of that. But everyone got some variety of that dose. And over time, all of that stuff that they keep adding on to and expanding while telling society that all that stuff is more important, continuously more important, that stuff's going to brainwash a society. There are societies around the world who do not engage with that stuff the way the United States of America does. It's safe to assume that American normies are among the most brainwashed people in the world. And not only because the system of brainwashing is so pervasive and so powerful here, but because the incentives for going along with it are so strong and the punishments for not going along with it are so strong. And when you think about it that way, you realize pretty quickly that our freedom in this country has nearly disappeared. What sort of society has as a foundational claim the fact that virtually everyone is completely and totally brainwashed and is incentivized to be and punished if they try to shed that brainwashing? And that's really where we are. This is one of the most powerful psychological manipulation operations the world has ever seen, if not the most powerful. I would be surprised if it was not the world's most powerful manipulation operation ever. But I don't know all of history, so I can't possibly know whether or not that is true. I do know that the people running the psychological manipulation operation certainly would not tell us if they'd done it before. So then how would we know? But that's what this is. So we don't have to be bashful about admitting we were wrong, including about something important. And if we all just made a habit of that understanding that all of us have been brainwashed, all of us to one extent or another, there are certainly people out there who haven't spent a single day nearly as brainwashed as I spent 20 years. And just the same, there are people who are far more brainwashed than I ever was and may never come back from that. So we can make qualitative and quantitative judgments about the people around us and we can compare ourselves to them. But we don't need to do that. There's no point in doing that. It's not a race. It's not a contest. We want a nice world. Isn't that the point? The world would be nicer if we could admit that we were wrong about big things. If we all admit that we are wrong about these things, then we can correct our beliefs. We have to actually actively change that incentive structure in order to provide the space for these changes to occur. Because while there are some people out there who are extraordinarily combative and trying to defend all of the wrong in this world and thereby defend themselves, most people out there are just confused as hell. As I've said many times, if you're worried about looking stupid, just remember that there were people wearing masks in their cars. If you have fully embraced and understood the fact that the government is probably lying to you about virtually everything, then you are probably in a better decision-making position about these issues than like 90% of the people in this country, 95% of the people in this country. You're doing pretty damn well. So if you got the Lunar Lander thing wrong, it's really not a big deal. 
It's not like I figured it out at age five. I just eventually accepted it within the last few years. So I'm not saying someone's stupid for believing in it. I'm just saying, look at it with your eyes. Take away the pressures that you might feel in retaining your current belief and ask yourself, is there any way possible that 50 something years ago, they blasted a rocket ship into space and then landed this thing made out of shower rods and tinfoil on the moon, filmed the whole thing, and then launched it all back to earth. You can just let that belief go. You don't need it. It doesn't provide any assurance in your life about how the world is going to operate. It will not change your existence to let it go. So just think about whether or not you actually believe that story. And if you don't, you just let it go. And you can actually put all of your beliefs to this test. Try to strip away everything. Try to strip away your emotional clinging to whatever belief we're talking about and ask yourself, what is my basis for believing this? If it's, I learned it in school and so did everyone else and everyone knows it's true, or you saw it with your own eyes on television, well, neither of those things are very good standards for belief, so it's at least worth considering if the belief you are thinking about may not be true. And as I said yesterday, that doesn't mean you just go around calling everything fake. There are plenty of things in your set of beliefs and in the world around you that you can verify as real and true. And all of those beliefs have this really funny quality where if someone challenges you on those beliefs, you don't get upset. You just say, well, yeah, of course. Do you want to see how I know that? I can show you or I can explain it to you logically. That's the way we normally act when it concerns a belief that we have confidence in genuine, real confidence. We don't get defensive. We just say, yeah, of course, that's the way it is. The defensiveness usually indicates an emotional attachment to the belief or that some part of that belief is not entirely rational. There are certain ways in which you're insecure about the belief. You have your own doubts of that belief, but you don't want to let the belief go. So the defensiveness is an attempt to get the other person to stop challenging the belief. And people will even perform this on themselves. They will put pressure on themselves to hold on to certain beliefs. We can actually drive ourselves insane that way. And so I was thinking about the nuclear thing and why that one is particularly difficult for people to potentially let go of. And again, I will make the statement absolutely as clear as I can. Do I know 100% that nuclear weapons do not exist? I would never say that. I'm inclined to believe that they don't, but I don't know. I cannot possibly prove the non-existence of something, particularly something whose defining claim is that it's only ever been used just that one time, twice, but that one time, and that everything else about it is top secret military intelligence. I mean, except for that little bag they carry around to say, hey, here's my traveling nuclear button. Look, it goes everywhere with the president. That means nukes are real. Like, all right, cool. Maybe if nukes are real, they really do carry a traveling nuclear button around in two little bags. 
That's totally possible. I get it, right? I'm not saying that's not true. But if they are real, they sure are lied about a lot. Remember that weapons of mass destruction up to and including nuclear weapons were what started our adventurism in the Middle East that lasted 20 years, cost us endless American blood and treasure, and slaughtered people over there. I'm pretty sure we could have avoided that if we didn't believe in nuclear weapons. But oh, they laid it on pretty thick. Do you remember George Bush saying, we don't want the smoking gun to be in the form of a mushroom cloud? Or talking about yellow cake uranium? We decided it was okay to go to a two-decade-long war on the false premise that we were going to prevent nuclear war. We were going to fight them over there so we wouldn't have to fight them here. While at the same time believing that we would never, ever, ever have to fight a war here. Why? Because anybody who was going to challenge us on U.S. soil could immediately be met with nuclear weapons and we could absolutely annihilate them. We could wipe them off the face of the planet with a moment's notice if they even thought about attempting to attack America on American soil. And that was also the message of our response to 9-11. Someone, someone, Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda dared to attack us on American soil. And so we went to fight them over there to show the entire world that you do not ever attack America. But we didn't nuke them. I mean, that would have made no sense. They were this strange, decentralized terrorist network that just lived in the caves of Afghanistan. They weren't backed by state entities or anything. So we needed a different solution. We couldn't go for the big solution. It would be impractical in this scenario. But we wanted to reinforce the idea that no one is allowed to attack America on American soil. And generally, aside from terrorism, we feel pretty comfortable believing that because we have the nukes. The nukes are the ultimate deterrent. The nukes mean there isn't really anyone who's going to dare to attack us on American soil because we will annihilate them if they do. Especially if the attack is at the state level, it's big or severe. We would generally prefer to respond in kind, but if the attack is severe enough, we reserve the option to respond with nukes and annihilate anyone. And that kind of gives people a lot of confidence. So to that extent, I can certainly see why people would not want to let go of the idea of nukes. And again, I don't know they're fake. I just know that the narrative can be used to manipulate the people and lead us into our own exploitation. We will hand over our power, our wealth, our control authority to a higher government body on the promise it will protect us. We can't figure this problem out on our own. We are too weak. We are too stupid. We have to leave it to the experts. We got to trust the science. And we certainly can't go up against some adversaries, powerful military on our own. It's scary to think that they might come here and attack us. Therefore, we are Glad that we have these nukes because they are a deterrent to other countries. That is how we are protected. If we didn't have those nukes, other countries might be trying to attack us and exploit us all the time. And I think that's what makes nukes really interesting because some of these other existential threats they throw our way 
are only threats to us. And the only solution is the government itself. The nuke thing is an existential threat to us, but it is also our defense mechanism against not only that existential threat coming from elsewhere, but also kind of downgraded versions of similar existential threats. The nukes make it so we won't be attacked on American soil. So I get that one. There are actually two powerful motivations there psychologically in holding on to this belief, despite whatever real world proof you might think you have to support this belief. It's a tough one. I get it. And by the way, I want people to really understand that I don't think you're stupid if you don't think what I think about these things. I'm telling you right now, I'm not certain about these things. I'm also telling you I'm inclined to believe this for these reasons. I'm also saying that when I take an inventory of my belief about issues like this, and I realize that I don't have any solid reason for believing the thing I believe when I can't find any justification for my belief, while at the same time recognizing that pretty much everyone believes this one thing and no one has a good reason for why they believe it. Well, I'm going to develop a pretty strong doubt. I'm going to wonder why this story is so readily accepted, especially when it turns out that no one really has a good answer. I'm going to think if we didn't get tricked there, I'll be awfully surprised, especially when I can see so much incentive on the regime side for perpetuating the lie. I was outside a few weeks ago and staring up at the sky, I was looking at clouds, and I'm sure we've all had this experience before at some point in our lives. Maybe we were at a picnic with our parents or a loved one. We were just having a, a nice sunny day, a stroll through the warm grass, or we were sitting at the top of our favorite hill under our favorite tree, or maybe we just went on a hike and we are looking up at the clouds and we might be talking about. What we see in the clouds. Oh, hey, is that a dog? Is that an alligator? Is that a bird? Look at that cloud. It looks like an airplane. Oh, no, wait, that's just an airplane. But wait, also that cloud over there does in fact look like an airplane. What are the chances? So we're just laying there in the warm grass, thinking about what it is we see in the cloud. And we are trying to tell whoever we're with. Check that out. That up there in the cloud, that's a duck. And sometimes they will get it immediately and they'll be like, yeah, that's a duck. Sometimes they will not see a duck at all. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? And then you start pointing at the cloud off in the distance, the far, far distance. And you say, you see that part there on the left, that kind of looks like uh, the duck's bill. And that part there at the bottom on the right, that looks a little bit like the duck's feet. Do you see what I'm saying? And they might see what you're saying. And then they'll say, oh yeah, well, fancy that it does look like a duck. You're describing the details of something that is clearly not the thing you're describing. And the thing you are describing is amorphous. Now, this works sometimes when a person's right next to you. Not all the time. Sometimes when a person's right next to you and you can point and say, hey, do you see that? And you're looking at the same thing with them. But even though you're staring at the same thing at the same time from virtually the same position, there's no guarantee that you will both see that cloud as a representation of a duck. Now, if you were to call your buddy Mike 
who admittedly isn't very good at knowing what cats sound like. And you were to say, hey, Mike, go outside your house right now. Look at that cloud that you see over there. It's just right up above you. Look at that cloud and tell me if that's not the best duck you've ever seen. Now, unless Mike's house is where you're having that picnic, you would be doing one of the craziest things of all time, believing that somehow from Mike's perspective, he's going to figure out which cloud you're talking about and look at it in the way that would show him the duck you are seeing, but nonetheless unable to reliably show the person right next to you. To some extent, that is what we are all doing. Now, it's not obviously a direct comparison. Now we have technology. Now I could take a picture of that cloud and send it over to Mike and say, hey, Mike, do you see the duck in this cloud in this picture? I'm giving you a representation of a representation of a duck. Do you see the duck? And because that experience in some way resembles Mike being next to you, you have brought his perspective closer to your own, maybe you will have some success in getting Mike to see the duck. But if his initial perspective is vastly different than yours, if he's across the country, for instance, and you don't have the phone, there's no chance that Mike is going to see the cloud you're looking at in the same way you're looking at it. It's just not possible. You could tell Mike that you saw a duck in the clouds. You could describe the cloud to him and say, trust me, Mike, it really looked like a duck. And maybe Mike will trust you. And to that extent, Mike will believe that there was a cloud in the world that looked like a duck to Mike's friend. You can kind of align on your belief in the duck in the clouds, but Mike can't see the duck. Mike can't verify the duck and the chances of Mike seeing in his imagination the image of the duck that you're seeing with your eyes are extraordinarily small. The only thing you can do is attempt to explain your perspective, what it is you see, how you're interpreting it, and hope that you are able to find some sort of connection with your friend Mike. Mike will probably have had the experience of looking up at clouds and what those clouds might resemble, but he can't see the clouds. And unless you and Mike have developed a relationship over time, Mike doesn't even really have any reason to believe that you're looking at a cloud. That would only be a trust-based belief. You might play the odds and say, it's very unlikely that anyone would be lying about their interpretation of what a cloud looks like. But the point is, it's never going to be the cloud. It's never going to be the exact cloud. All you can do is be honest and try to share your perspective. And that's kind of how I think about this process. I cannot possibly ever know all of the answers to all of the questions in the world. I'm not going to be able to solve even a small fraction of the mystery in this world. I can guarantee you it is a bad idea to assume that I am absolutely right about everything I say, just like it's true for everyone else. But I can share my perspective and tell you about my thought process because we are in an important stage right now. We need to refine our discernment and be able to separate real and fiction, true and false, good and evil, because we're not going to stop being tested. And these questions about these things, about whether or not they're true, climate change, pandemics, AI, aliens, nukes, 
and we can go on and on. Those are super important questions. But what's most important is to develop the thought process and the habit of questioning absolutely everything because we are getting inundated with complete and utter bullshit on a daily basis while we are also getting stories about world changing events and situations. So not only do we need to be able to discern true and false real versus fiction. We also need to be able to prioritize all of that so that our limited attention is devoted to the things that actually matter. And what we face is a world where it is believed that we must always be deferring to what we call expertise in order to make virtually any decision. We have people that study one very specific, even esoteric thing for their entire lives. And then we are told that that person is an expert about that thing. So any question that we might have about that subject, well, we need to go seek out that expert, ask them the question, and then just assume that their answer is correct. If there's an expert out there who disagrees with them, we just ask which school each went to and we choose whichever school is better and we listen to that person because that person is a better expert. We'll adopt the belief of the better expert and then we will assume that we know something and that we know the best version of that belief about some certain subject. But if the expert's wrong, then we're wrong. And if the expert's wrong, then we aren't experts. In fact, if the expert is wrong, then we just handed our belief and our authority over to someone who cannot give us the right answer, which means we are making a judgment error as well. If we are only able to form beliefs based on what experts in a given field say, and those experts only know about their specific field, not that they don't have plenty of opinions to share beyond that then those experts don't really have an idea of how everything might connect. And so they can't tell us about the world as a whole. So we have this limited attention, but we know that we need expert knowledge from all these different sources in order to make any decision. So we try to take a shortcut on all of that, figure out who the best expert is, just listen to that person, and then assume that that knowledge about that subject is all squared away. We don't have time to become experts at all of these different things. Therefore, we must rely on the experts in all of these circumstances, and we will never become experts on our own. It also happens rather often in our decision-making processes that we don't know much about many of the relevant factors involved in making a decision. But we might be told we have an expert point of view about one of those factors. So we believe that that factor is absolutely locked down. We know that one piece of information is solid because that is some expert information in that area. The rest of these areas we know very little. So now what we will do is over prioritize that expert knowledge to the expense of everything else, even though. That area that we might have expert knowledge about isn't all that important in the context of making that decision. So we have all of these shortcuts that we attempt to use when trying to figure out what the world is because we don't have enough time or attention to become experts about all of these various subjects. The only way to shortcut any of this process at all 
is to try to get down to the roots of things and make sure that the roots are good, that our foundational understandings about how things work are fairly solid. That's like the best we can hope for. And if we have that and we are thinking properly about the new information we are receiving and the new situations we are encountering, well, then our proper processing of those situations becomes a habit. We begin to understand, oh, things work these certain ways. And we don't have to take any of this on faith. You can apply the processes and find out how they work for you in the world. It's like going on a diet or starting a workout routine. If you do both of those things and you're doing them the right way with something that works, you're going to get stronger and lose weight. I imagine that each of you have some particular skill in your work life, something that helped you make money or something you're really good at that helps you provide for your family in other ways. Maybe you are a fantastic cook, but whatever skill it is you've developed, you have learned from real experience that doing a thing a certain way provides a certain outcome, and that outcome is consistently good as a result of the process you're applying. This is equally true when it comes to our thought process and our process of belief formation. If we are consistently doing these things the right way, we will consistently arrive at positive outcomes. But it's not just that that process then becomes the most useful in providing positive outcomes. The positive outcomes reaffirm that the steps in the process, the decisions you make, the judgments you make, were actually good ones, which means that if you make them again in different circumstances, they will probably work the same way again. This is roughly what Aristotle observed about 2,500 years ago, that excellence is a habit. I've said before that my goal of this show is not to tell you what to think. I can't tell you the answers. It's not even to convince you that I'm right or to have you agree with me. It is only to tell you that the systems of authority telling us what to think and what to do absolutely must be questioned. Where that takes you is your own business, but as I've said many times, my goal is to speed along the awakening. I want as many people to wake up as possible because that's how this situation will be best resolved. Now, you don't have to agree with that, But that is one of my foundational beliefs about my approach. I know for a fact that I was, for most of my adult life, a product of this systemic brainwashing. I think that I have, at least to some degree, let much of that go. And I've tried to figure out what is the path out of this, how to set my thinking back on a proper course, and then how to communicate that. Because ultimately, that's all we can do. I can't make you believe certain things. I can't prove to you the non-existence of something or that the thing you've always believed is untrue. Because it's not up to me when you change your mind. That's up to you. I don't presume to be qualified to set your beliefs for you, but I can say I have a perspective and the extent to which my perspective helps you develop your own perspective. Well, that's all I can do. But if you think back to what sound does a cat make and you think about how obvious certain things look after you have let go of a bad inculcated belief, you might realize 
that that complicated and convoluted answer for everything that is always handed down from authority, systems of authority telling you everybody knows this thing is true. It's that way because it's really difficult to create a plausible story about why something absolutely obvious is actually the exact opposite of what you see it to be. It is a symptom of our brainwashing that we actually think a complicated and convoluted answer to a question is more likely to be true because it carries with it the air of expertise or the air of academic study. When again, both of those are appeals to false authority. We imagine that Occam's razor is a productive heuristic in our thought. The simplest answer offering a full explanation is almost always the right answer. But in the total inversion, we've made a habit of ignoring the simplest, plausible, fully explanatory answer in favor of some convoluted, complicated nonsense told to us by an expert who, when questioned, tells us, well, I can't answer that because you wouldn't understand it. Or a government that says, I can't answer that because it's too important for you to know. It would compromise our national security if we told you. And sure, you have a right to look after your own security, but we're talking about national security. So if you are doing something that we say threatens national security, well, you're basically just killing everyone's grandma. Now mask up. And unless we are going to spend every episode of this show talking about how I know who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs, then we're going to need to keep pressing forward. There are plenty of shows that you can listen to every day. You'll find them all over YouTube, all over the podcast networks, even the conservative ones. They all have so many shows devoted to letting you know that they are certain about who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs. You can find those anywhere. You can absolutely go listen to those instead of listening to this show. But if your goal is to actually know what is happening in the world and be able to look ahead of events to know how you can prepare for yourself, for your family, on behalf of your own long-term goals in pursuit of your own liberty and happiness, then we need to be looking downrange. And if I'm right about the process we're all experiencing right now, then these patterns are going to keep repeating. We are going to come to find that we have been wrong about many foundational things and we will need to reverse our thinking on the fly, understanding that we were lied to, understanding why we were lied to, and then trying to figure out as best we can what the truth actually is. I didn't think five years ago that I was going to be questioning the reality of nuclear weapons in our world, but I also didn't think that all of my friends and neighbors we're going to call me a murderer for showing them that the coronavirus statistics were fake and that masks don't work. We've all been surprised quite a bit over the last few years. It turns out that the world is not what we thought it was and that the people around us are not necessarily who we thought they were. And we need to prepare for more of that because there is more of that coming. Not only are the revelations we're seeing about a great many subjects, truly mind-blowing and profound, 
We are also getting information on a level of ridiculousness that no one could have ever seen coming. Try this one on for size. This is Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres. And for scientists, it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. Climate change is here. It is terrifying. And it is just the beginning. The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable. The heat is unbearable. And the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Leaders must lead. The era of global warming has ended. The era of global boiling has begun. Now, I mean, maybe they're just throwing it in our faces. Ha ha ha, you frogs. We've had you in the pot the whole time. And now that pot is boiling. But otherwise, that is just some insane pseudoscientific propaganda. The air is unbreathable. The heat is unbearable. That's utter madness. They have spent months now showing everybody maps, weather maps, just all red just huge sections of red. There are fires due to climate change that bring all that smoke, that orange haze, that smoke over the Northeast. That's all climate change. All these hot temperatures, that's not summer, that's climate change. We keep getting told about record temperatures that are not record temperatures. This is the global governing body speaking directly about what they have declared to be an existential threat and saying that it is more existential than ever. We already missed the boat on global warming. He talked about how our behaviors haven't changed and how the profits of the oil companies are far too large. The global governing organizations are just going to need more power, more money, more control authority. You're going to have to just obey better or else the world is going to end from climate change. The age of global boiling is upon us. Now think about how that statement will be received. If you listen to my show, you're going to hear that and immediately think, okay, well, now this is just ridiculous because you know that by and large, the climate change thing is a hoax. It's a scam. They're just trying to get the power, the wealth, the control authority so they can do whatever they want. That goes right along with their beliefs about how there are too many people on this planet. All those people are creating a huge mess and that mess is killing this planet. And so what we need are fewer people creating a smaller mess in order for the planet to survive and for people to survive, because right now there are too many people for the planet to survive, even though that is fundamentally and obviously not true. All of the people in the world could fit in a landmass the size of Texas at the population density of New York City. One big New York the size of Texas holds everybody. That means the rest of the world could be used for all the other things and be just fine. Everything is just fine. But if you believe in climate change to the point where you fear climate change and you think that climate change is such a serious threat that the world is going to end in a relatively short amount of time, or at least life as we know it will be irreparably altered. 
because of climate change, then you hear his words and your only reaction is hatred and anger for people who don't go along with the climate stuff, even while knowing that you yourself don't go along with the climate stuff. And I'm talking, of course, about the people that I used to know in Hollywood. And I'm sure you know people who exhibit the same personality characteristics. But the people who were telling me that their 2020 decision was really all about sustainability. At the end of the day, these Biden crimes don't matter because I'm concerned about sustainability. And Donald Trump, as a Republican, doesn't care about sustainability. And you say, hey, Kami, what does sustainability mean? And they have no idea. But they will tell you about how they like plants and trees and animals. And that all means the same thing, right? Ha ha ha. I love plants and trees and animals. And you hate them, you MAGA extremist. So they hear global boiling and they think, my, 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 those MAGA extremists are so evil. Once again, so evil. I can't believe how evil they are. They're so evil that they will try to destroy our planet on purpose. They'll just keep using those plastic straws as if it doesn't matter at all. And here we are in the initial phases of global boiling. Can you feel how hot it is outside? I bet we won't even have a winter this year. And the truth is all this climate change is killing grandma. And I know you're thinking, hey, he's just joking about that COVID thing again. But no, they actually do tell us that hot weather is going to kill people's grandma as if there was never an age before air conditioning. If you are a uniparty left villager, you will hear that believe that it is 100 percent true while being perhaps a bit hyperbolic, a bit poetic, a little poetic license in there, a little scientific license. But it'll feel true enough. You'll know who to blame and you will feel the requisite hatred and anger for those people. Now, if you share our perspective, knowing that the climate change thing is a scam and a hoax, then you will think, look at this lunatic foreigner trying to threaten us, telling us that we have to change our lives because of global boiling that they're making up. I would never in a million years listen to this person. You might even then realize, hey, you know what? A bunch of my uniparty villager friends are starting to have some pretty serious doubts about a lot of the things they've been told. Maybe I'll send this video clip to them and they'll have the proper reaction on their own. They'll be like, really? Did he just say global boiling? It's going to be global boiling right now. And you say, yeah, Kami, it's kind of all like this to tell you the truth. I don't know if you've ever spent much time listening to our public officials, but they kind of all sound like this. And the things they say are kind of all this ridiculous. And I've been telling you this stuff for a while, but it's great now that you're starting to see it. Now, I don't know your friends. I don't know if that'll work or not, but there are some people who would probably see this and be like, okay, that's the last straw. I can't, I can't believe anything these people say anymore. And that's great. Maybe you're reaching a turning point there, but let's go back and linger one second on how you reacted to them realizing your thought is, yeah, Kami, they're kind of always doing this to us. That's what I've been trying to show you. You can see this same thing when it comes to absolutely everything. They're always doing this, trying to trick you, saying this hyperbolic nonsense to scare people into complying with whatever they say. And I want you to embrace that thought, fully embrace that thought right now, just for a second, and then realize that I'm doing the exact same thing with you about nukes and all these other subjects. That's all I'm doing. I'm saying, hey, the way I look at it right now, this is what I see. I see them doing this ridiculous nonsense all the time in all of these things, 
I see it so often and so clearly that it has become funny to me thinking about how it works ever, even while knowing that it used to work on me. I have friends who were awake long before me. It would be like them going, hey, Chris, how does the cat go? And I'm like, bah, that's how I often feel when I hear things like the secretary general of the UN saying that the age of global boiling had commenced. That is too preposterous for words. But nonetheless, there are people who have devoted their entire lives to supporting the belief system that would allow for a statement like that. All I'm saying is that there are countless other instances of that same thing when it comes to virtually everything. But let's keep going down this ridiculous path because, as I said, there's so much ridiculous news coming out right now. This is from Monday in the San Francisco Gate. Bohemian Grove annual event is underway in the Bay Area per the FAA. Around 2 p.m. on July 20th, the Federal Aviation Administration issued a departure delay at San Francisco International with a curious explanation as to why. Departures, this is a quote, departures from San Francisco International are delayed an average 15 minutes and in parentheses and increasing due to other colon Bohemian Grove. So the announcement in the airport is that flights are delayed because of Bohemian Grove. Now, Bohemian Grove is that storied place where world elites come in this little secret gathering that no one's allowed into. And part of that gathering is a ceremony that revolves around chanting and what looks like the worship of a 40 foot tall owl. Alex Jones did some documentary where he snuck into this place in like 1999 or 2000. And because it's Alex Jones, it has this weird effect of simultaneously showing people that there is this thing, but also saying, well, you can't quite believe this thing, of course, because it's Alex Jones. And that's what makes Alex Jones kind of fascinating and also a bit frustrating and why people find it difficult to trust anything he says. But Alex Jones is right a lot, and Bohemian Grove is real, as far as we know. And business leaders and political leaders go there and discuss business and politics. It's very strange to have a secret private society with these quasi-religious rituals in between discussing how the world is going to work from a position of power and influence so great that you actually can dictate on some level how the world is going to work. And understanding that, you might realize how odd it is that there is an announcement at the San Francisco airport suggesting that flights are delayed because of people coming and going on their private jets traveling to attend Bohemian Grove. Now, Someone at the airport is responsible for putting out that message, or perhaps that message is a product of artificial intelligence. Maybe they just have those announcements running on AI. Someone made a data entry at some level of airport administration. Flights are delayed because of this Bohemian Grove travel, 
And then the automated message goes out to the airport and says flights are delayed because of other colon Bohemian Grove. Maybe an airport employee thought it was funny. There are plenty of plausible explanations about how this happened, but on some level, none of them are good. And by good, I mean none of them can fully explain the situation. It's almost like a glitch in the matrix. This is the sort of thing that's not supposed to happen. If you have a secret society that the world's wealthiest and most powerful travel so that they can all convene their secret society at this place, you don't want thousands of people in an airport to know about it. And you don't want news articles written about it. You don't want a public announcement that everyone's flights are being delayed due to the richest, most powerful people traveling through that airport in order to attend their secret society worship session. That's sort of the thing you don't ever want getting out. And we are told that these people maintain this iron fisted grip over power in our country and in all our institutions. But yet you see these crazy instances. Is this a ghost in the machine? Is there someone in there influencing things in an anti-regime sort of way? Well, maybe, or maybe it's a mistake or maybe it's AI or maybe the whole story's fake and none of this ever happened. But the fact is the story is out there. It exists in the San Francisco Gate website, which is a rather popular website. People have seen it and sent it around as news. So regardless of any of the underlying realities, there is now the reality that people are seeing this and they are hearing about Bohemian Grove on a massive scale. And people are like, well, what is that? Bohemian Grove? Many people are totally clueless about it. They don't have any belief whatsoever about Bohemian Grove. But all of a sudden, they'll see social media posts that are saying, look at this. This was a real announcement in the San Francisco gate. Apparently, people's flights were delayed because of this Bohemian Grove travel. And those people will say, well, what's Bohemian Grove? And maybe they'll look it up or maybe someone will explain it. And some of those people, upon hearing about this for the first time, will reject it out of hand. Or they'll say that stuff's not a big deal. The conspiracy theorists are always making stuff up about these situations. And it turns out that all of them are false. It's just a conspiracy theory. And they'll put their head back in the sand. They'll ignore it. But other people will be like, oh, huh. Wow, there really are these secret societies, huh? Is that thing real? And then they'll look it up and they'll be like, oh, man. That does seem real. Well, that's really, really odd. But if flights at the airport were shut down because of the use of private airstrips or because the world's wealthiest and most powerful people are disrupting the air traffic patterns, then something about all that must be real. They must think they're pretty important. They must think they're entitled to these exceptions if they're willing to shut down all of this airport traffic just for them to fly in by themselves or with their wives or friends. And that leads to all sorts of other thoughts and all sorts of other questions. And slowly but surely, people's beliefs change and they wake up to the realities of our world. I don't need to be a Bohemian Grove expert or be certain that every detail of the Bohemian Grove story is true. To know that there are secret societies in this world, there have been for many, many centuries, for millennia, and that the smartest people in the world 
are the members of these secret societies. That is not even something that is up for debate. I've been a Democrat. I've been a liberal. I know more or less the things they know and the things they think. They all know about skull and bones. They know about George W. Bush. They know there are weird college clubs. I was in a fraternity. All sorts of people are in fraternities and sororities. That kind of has its own version of that effect. People understand that that thing is real. They just believe that somehow it doesn't matter if it's real. This is one of those times that they think, oh, wow, they really do that. And these people can just like delay everybody's flights just because they're flying in and out for this weird secret society meeting like that. Actually, they're really doing that. And it's like, yeah, of course they're doing that. They do this stuff absolutely all the time. I'm not saying there's a Bohemian Grove every weekend. I'm just saying that rich people with private jets can occasionally change air traffic patterns affecting absolutely everybody else. Even society's most vulnerable people like our trans jurors and zizjurs. We should have some activism behind that. These trans people having their flights delayed by the richest, most powerful people in the world. Where are the allies? Now, if I came out of nowhere and told some child-brained villager that the wealthiest and most powerful people in society regularly attend the meetings of their secret societies and are happy to disrupt air traffic patterns in order to do it, they might tell me I was a lunatic and a conspiracy theorist. But here it is. An influx of flights was also noted across San Francisco Bay at the FAA Air Route Traffic Control Center in Fremont, where the agency sent out an advisory the following day to expect increased volume due to Bohemian Grove. VIP movements are scheduled in the afternoon, the FAA wrote in its alert. So is the FAA lying? Now, I'm open to the idea that the FAA is lying. But the FAA is saying it, so either it happened or the FAA is lying. Once again, the Bay Area has opened its gates for an annual and secretive gathering of male political and cultural figureheads. Oh, I guess there's no wives in this one. The Bohemian Grove event, which is associated with the Bohemian Club on Knob Hill, is the summertime bacchanal for its exclusive and elite members. The club was founded by a group of journalists in 1872. Oh, journalists. Its summer camp has hosted Old Money. William Randolph Hearst and the Rockefellers were noted members. And former presidents Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan. J. Robert Oppenheimer first discussed the Manhattan Project during the July event. Gosh, that's incredible. Membership at the men's only club costs about $25,000 a year and features a two-week retreat to the Redwoods in Sonoma County at the infamous and guarded Bohemian Grove. The 2,700-acre Bohemian Grove property is located close to the Russian River near the hamlet Monte Rio. Members are treated to sacred rites, plays, pageantry, and lectures from interest groups. And the event ends with the burning of an effigy in front of a giant owl. Now, there's some pretty interesting disclosure in this article, which means that they have to soften it by making sure that, you know, it's no big deal. And that usually comes with the firsthand perspective of someone involved. So here we go. 
It's like a frat party. It's a bunch of artists, movie stars, and politicians getting drunk and falling down the hill, and no one can take pictures, said a worker at the town's market who spoke with San Francisco Gate and requested anonymity. The big black cars come every year, and I've seen them all week. Tons of Porsches and Ferraris. So a worker at the town's market tells them what goes on inside Bohemian Grove. Is there any chance that worker knows? Well, certainly not firsthand. Maybe they have some local labor that gets hired for this event and maybe people in town talk. But regardless, this isn't a firsthand account, but it makes you believe that the real story, the on the ground firsthand account, the up close and personal account is that this is just like a party for these elites. They just come listen to some boring talks. They have these little sketches. They do arts and crafts. Sometimes there's a sing-along and that's really all it is. But yeah, also J. Robert Oppenheimer was recruited into the Manhattan Project while there. Oh, and also he's a super patriotic American, not a communist, even though he describes himself as a uh, fellow traveler. And he's certainly not a Prussian. And the original Bohemia was never part of the Prussian Empire. Oh, wait. Oh, oh yeah, it was. But that's got nothing to do with this Bohemian Grove. It's just the same name and the world's most powerful people who are, I guess, all part of that same Prussian system and the lineage of that same Prussian empire. But it's just a coincidence that they all meet at this place. And also J. Robert Oppenheimer first discussed the Manhattan Project there. It's all a coincidence as always. But it gets even weirder from there because this week we were also told that Barack Obama's chef turned up dead, drowning in what's being called a paddleboarding accident. Now, there have been rumors attributed to members of the Edgartown Fire Department saying that Tafari Campbell's body looked like it had sustained blunt force trauma, like that he had been in a fight or otherwise beaten to death. That, of course, is being denied by official sources. And as you might imagine, the official sources are all over this story. They need to make sure that only one belief is accepted, and that is all of this was an accident and absolutely none of it has anything to do with Barack Hussein Obama or his wife, Michelle, because while he would absolutely drone countless innocent Middle Easterners and also some Americans, he would absolutely never kill his chef, no matter what his chef was doing or what his chef had seen or what books his chef may or may not be writing. What's important is that everyone knows this was a simple accident and that is all. So Media Matters came out firing yesterday. Far-right figures and conspiracy theorists baselessly allege Obama was responsible for personal chef Tafari Campbell's death. So what we have is another case of baseless claims. Far-right figures and conspiracy theorists are alleging without evidence that former President Barack Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama were responsible for the recent death of their personal chef Tafari Campbell. It's about time we start discussing the Obama body count, posted QAnon conspiracy theorist Liz Crokin on Twitter. Misinformation around Campbell's death is another instance of right-wing conspiracy theorists' years-long track record of falsely 
claiming that prominent Democratic politicians kill people to maintain political power. And everybody knows that politicians never have anyone killed despite the extraordinary body counts surrounding people like the Clintons. No one in and around politics is ever killed. Certainly not Antonin Scalia and definitely not Harrison Deal. There is no reason to ever believe that anyone around politics has ever died suspiciously. That's what we have to know, according to Media Matters. On July 23rd, Campbell was seen paddleboarding near the Obama's summer home on Edgerton Great Pond at Martha's Vineyard when another paddleboarder saw him submerge underwater. The Massachusetts Environmental Police recovered his body the next day and state police reported there was no evidence of anything quote unquote suspicious regarding his drowning. Barack and Michelle Obama were not home when the tragedy occurred. So according to someone, Campbell was paddleboarding and whoever saw him paddleboarding saw him go underwater and could not save him. The next day, someone came and retrieved his body from that pond. They just left it in there. In the meantime, it was a police scene. No one could go in, even the police. They had to wait until the Massachusetts Environmental Police arrived. They're the only people who can be trusted in a situation like this. And they were delayed trying to return from Bohemian Grove. Despite a lack of evidence, far-right figures and conspiracy theorists have attacked the Obamas and baselessly claimed that they were responsible for Campbell's death. And right-wing media figures have started to imply there was foul play involved. In addition to what they frame as a ridiculous assertion by Liz Crokin that the Obamas would have a body count, she also asked of Campbell what did he know. Conspiracy theorist Roger Stone shared a screenshot of an article on Campbell's death and implied that his death was purposeful, saying, quote, clearing the decks for her 2024 candidacy, tying up the loose ends, hashtag Michelle Obama 2024. So that's one of the theories out there that Michelle Obama is going to run for president next year. And so they need to make sure that if there are any people who could expose the Obamas for some impropriety, like if one of them, for instance, was not who she claimed to be, if someone could prove that sort of thing, that person would have to be dealt with. And at times, the only way to deal with a person is by having them murdered. White nationalist Stu Peters posted, and apparently Stu Peters has graduated from conspiracy theorist to white nationalist. I did not know he was that dangerous, but congratulations to him, I guess. Clinton White House chef, dead. Obama White House chef, dead. If I'm Joe Biden's chef, I'm quitting and getting far away from that family. And people did note that there was a rather suspicious death concerning the Clinton's former chef. QAnon grifter. Ron Watkins asked, did Obama's chef know too much? Was he planning to talk? Now, Ron Watkins was in the HBO documentary about Q. Ron and his father, Jim, ran the Chans, 4chan and 8chan and 8kun, the message boards where the Q thing happened and the Q research was done. The places on the internet that you're not supposed to go, the no-no places. The places serious journalists call the dark web. It's not the dark web. It's just a message board. Right wing conspiracy theorist Matt Wallace asked, 
What really happened here? Drunk, drugged, murdered, release the footage. In another post, Wallace said, over the last seven years, he has traveled all over the world with them and knows many of their deepest, darkest secrets. Rumors are spreading that he was murdered because they discovered a book he was writing about his experience that included a lot of reputation damaging info. Proud Boys founder Gavin McInnes asserted, I used to use Obama's chef as an example of a president who doesn't have a high body count. May have to amend that. On the far right message board, The Donald, users claimed that Campbell's death was intentional and pushed other bigoted conspiracy theories. Now, that wasn't even a fact check. Media Matters just wanted to let everyone know that dangerous claims were being made. I mean, a story this extraordinary isn't something that comes along every day. This is a former president whose chef has died mysteriously close to the former president's home. And we aren't getting a whole lot of answers. Was he writing a book? If he was writing a book, that kind of does matter because it's entirely possible that from his position as their personal chef, he may have seen quite a few things. He may have overheard quite a few conversations. This doesn't have to be about Michelle's physical stature. It's possible that he overheard all sorts of different things. In the WikiLeaks email, there is a very, very strange email talking about $65,000 worth of pizza and hot dogs to be delivered to the White House for some party they were having while Obama was there. Was that while this chef was there? Sure was. Wonder if he knows something about that. The Washington Post did provide us a fact check. They say, here's a closer look at the misinformation circulating around the death and the actual facts. So the Washington Post is promising us actual facts. Let's see how that goes. Campbell suspiciously suffered blunt force injuries to the head and had been wearing a life vest when he died. That is the claim that they will refute. Here are the facts. Massachusetts State Police and the State Medical Examiner's Office say there was no external trauma or injuries on Campbell's body. Well, what about the Massachusetts Environmental Police? Who's right on this? Media Matters or the Washington Post? Or did the Massachusetts Environmental Police just recover his body from the pond and then it was turned over to the Massachusetts State Police who are reporting that there was no blunt force trauma, no external trauma whatsoever. Dave Procopio, a state police spokesperson, also confirmed the 45-year-old Dumfries, Virginia resident was not wearing a personal flotation device, nor was he leashed to his paddleboard when he went under the water on Sunday evening. So no life vest, and he was just freestyling it on that paddleboard, according to the Washington Post. In a statement provided Wednesday, he said the agency's investigation and the office of the chief medical examiner's initial post-mortem examination have, quote, found no evidence that the death was suspicious, end quote. Another paddleboarder told police that Campbell, who had worked as a chef for the Obamas since their time in the White House, had been standing on his board when he lost balance and fell in. The other paddleboarder had tried to swim to Campbell as he struggled to stay afloat, but they weren't able to reach him in time, the statement said. The paddleboarder then swam ashore and notified another person who called 911. And I guess a day later, they went back and retrieved his body. Next claim. 
Former President Barack Obama was paddleboarding with Campbell when he died. The facts. The other paddleboarder who witnessed the incident was not Obama, former First Lady Michelle Obama, nor the couple's two adult daughters, state police confirm. Procopio said the family, which has long vacationed on the resort island off Massachusetts, had been elsewhere Sunday evening. I won't comment on exactly where President and Mrs. Obama were, but they were not at the house or with Mr. Campbell that evening, he said. So it's a mystery. We don't know where the Obamas were, but they definitely were not with Campbell. We can't tell you who was with Campbell, but it wasn't the Obamas. The Obama's 6,892 square foot estate sits on 30 acres overlooking Edgar Town, Great Pond, where Campbell drowned. Procopio declined to identify the other paddler who had been with Campbell, saying the agency generally does not identify witnesses. As to exactly where the Obamas were on the island Sunday, a spokesperson for the former president declined to comment. So we don't know where they were, but they weren't there. We are being told they weren't there. Those are, quote unquote, the facts. Here's another claim. The medical examiner's office has called off its autopsy. The facts, that's false. The initial post-mortem examination of the body is complete, leading officials to conclude the death wasn't suspicious. Officials are now just awaiting the results of toxicology tests, which generally take several weeks, according to Procopio. For the autopsy to be considered complete, the toxicology tests would be finalized and the results reviewed, he said. Another claim. Campbell's death is suspicious because he knew how to swim and was in a pond with access to a paddleboard he could have held on to. The facts. Water safety experts told the AP that none of these factors would necessarily prevent someone from drowning, a tragedy that often occurs quickly and silently. Some online are pointing to a video on Campbell's Instagram account that shows a man swimming laps at a pool as evidence that the chef was an able swimmer. And that's true. That video is real. I've seen it. This fact check does not dispute it. Campbell did know how to swim. Although the level of Campbell's swimming abilities is unclear, Adam Katchmarchi, executive director of the National Drowning Prevention Alliance, said that even the best swimmers can and do drown. Thank goodness we inquired of an expert to find that out. They had to call a National Drowning Prevention Alliance executive director to find out whether or not it was possible for Tafari Campbell to have drowned as they are telling us that he did. For example, they may suffer a medical emergency that prevents them from staying afloat, even if they have an object such as a paddleboard to hold on to, or they may find themselves in an environment they're not trained to handle, like tides or currents, especially if they overestimate their strength and stamina. Additionally, a pond is not necessarily safe just because it's smaller and less volatile than other bodies of water. Murky waters can obscure hazards beneath the surface, and safety equipment or assistance are not always available nearby. What's more, Edgartown Great Pond is not all that shallow, as some online had claimed. Campbell's body was found about 100 feet from shore at a depth of about 8 feet, according to state police. The pond has an average depth of 3 to 4 feet. But people can drown in far shallower water so long as their mouth and nose are submerged, said Tom Gill, vice president of the United States Life Saving Association. They called the vice president 
of the United States Life-Saving Association to let us know that someone could drown in just a foot of water. He said it doesn't even take eight feet of water. It could take one foot of water. So the average depth of the pond is three to four feet. But Campbell just so happened to be in a place where the depth was eight feet. Therefore, according to these experts, it is entirely possible that he could have simply drowned. Now, yeah, he was a good swimmer and had a paddleboard right there that he could have held on to to help him stay afloat. But despite all that, he fell off the paddleboard, was submerged underwater and drowned. He could not make it back to the surface. Now, I understand they're waiting on the toxicology report for this autopsy to be complete, but they're saying that he drowned. So if he drowned, then he didn't die of a heart attack. And if there was no blunt force trauma or no physical damage of any kind, then he didn't bump his head on his paddleboard in some strange way that can't happen. That would have caused him to fall into the water unconscious and drown. So this fact check wants us to know that there is absolutely no way that it's true that Campbell was wearing a life jacket. No chance. No blunt force trauma of any kind. No chance. The Obamas were somewhere, maybe on the island, maybe not. Can't tell you where, but they weren't with Campbell. That's all we know. They weren't home. This has nothing to do with them. Definitely not the Obamas. Definitely no blunt force trauma. Definitely no life jacket, which explains how it was much easier for him to drown. The medical examiner did not call off their autopsy. That is just a rumor. All they're doing is waiting for the toxicology report. There are also rumors that an outside medical examiner was brought in as often happens with cases like this. They did it with the Epstein suicide, but there's no reason to doubt the autopsy. There's no reason to doubt what they're saying. He drowned, no physical injury whatsoever. And it was also entirely possible that he drowned and it wasn't anything else. Media Matters wants you to know that every indication otherwise is a conspiracy theory. Here are the facts. They're not a full picture of the story, not by any means. The facts as they've presented them are not even totally consistent with one another. And that's ignoring the fact that most of them are totally free of verifiable information in the first place, which is kind of convenient. But we have to know that everything about the story, as they've told us, is true. And until they update the official story with different new official facts, this is the only story we have. And if we're going to even consider that anything about this story is untrue, well, then we're conspiracy theorists. Now, if you're awake enough to understand that we are talking about some very high level people within the regime here, people who are of a level high enough within the regime to probably have air traffic delayed in order for them to fly into places, that sort of high level regime figure. And it either is or is not true that people of this stature, the sort of people who would be able to halt air traffic at a major airport just so that their private jet can get in. Well, those people might be able to have someone killed. It might even have happened before. And I'm not accusing Barack Obama, and I'm not saying that this death was murder. I don't know either of those things. I'm just saying that things like this can happen, and people like this do these sorts of things. JFK was assassinated. Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated. Malcolm X was assassinated. 
Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. They tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan, and you would have to imagine that they wanted to assassinate Donald Trump. So high-level political figures get assassinated by other high-level political figures in the regime. That happens, which means it's absolutely true, therefore, that high-level figures within the regime can order assassinations, including of people up to the level of U.S. president. And so it's entirely possible that someone at Barack Obama's level could have someone at the level of Barack Obama's chef killed if that person were to learn something about a figure of Obama's stature. Now, the regime just told us that we should be relatively comfortable in our belief that Tafari Campbell just simply drowned in a paddleboarding accident and that there was no foul play because of the reasons they just gave us, like that the water was deep enough where they found the body for him to have drowned, even while being a good swimmer, according to experts. Their argument is essentially the official story is plausible. You're saying it's not plausible. Here's how the official story is plausible. We even consulted experts. They prove that our version of events is plausible. And because our version of events is plausible and you don't know what the real version of events was, you have to accept our plausible story. But the thing is, the version of events that I just described also means it's entirely plausible that a high-level regime political figure absolutely could have had his chef killed. So which one is better, my plausible explanation or their plausible explanation? And I'm not saying that I believe that explanation. I'm just saying I proposed a plausible explanation. But we don't know which one of those is better. We can't possibly know which one of those is better because we don't have firsthand experience. The Washington Post also does not have firsthand experience. Everything in that article is a claim that someone else made. And we're not allowed to know those people except for this spokesman for the police, Procopio. Could a police spokesman lie on behalf of someone like a Barack Obama, a high level, powerful regime figure whose plane could stop the traffic of other planes? As the world's economy takes place through travel and trade, he can delay that to fly into Bohemian Grove. Not that Barack Obama went to Bohemian Grove, just saying. But if he can do that, he can probably find a police spokesman who will lie and make sure that the other police don't refute that lie. They could go with a partial story. They could go with a story that they know to be incorrect in certain ways. They can leave certain things out. All of that is possible, but there are people out there who will believe the explanations in Washington Post, who will believe the explanations in media matters because they don't think that the news would lie to them about something like this, even though they know that the news has lied about everything else. They don't think the news could lie about something like this because this seems like such an extraordinary situation and they don't want to believe that Barack Obama would have his chef killed because that's going to destroy their image of Barack Obama. So they're going to cling on to that. Even if Barack Obama's politics are terrible, even if he was a bad president, I would never suggest that that nice man would go and have 
his chef killed just because his chef knows too many things. We can know that the official story has serious problems to the point of seeming like they're trying to put one over on us without fully adopting the opposite view. We can understand that it's possible, that it's plausible, that Tafari Campbell was murdered, perhaps by someone around the Obamas, without moving ourselves to the point where we believe it. We can simply allow for the possibility and understand that while it might not have happened in this situation, things like that do happen in the world. So our questions are justified and reasonable. And the explanations we are given in response are insulting and unreasonable and do not explain away the issue. It then becomes a matter for us to determine, how am I going to think about this situation? Well, just hold it in the back of your head and wait. If we get new information that suggests one conclusion or another is more likely, then we apply that new information to our current understanding and move in the direction that makes sense. But we don't just accept the mainstream explanation and throw away all new information that might arrive. And we don't do the same on the other side, assuming that this explanation is wrong. Therefore, the opposite is true. And then we're going to ignore new information that arrives to us in the future. We do not need to have our beliefs about these things set in stone. And it's actually much better if we don't have them set in stone, because if new information comes along and we realize that that new information conflicts with this old information to the point where we might have to update our beliefs, we don't want those old beliefs to be held on to so closely that we reject all new information. Because this is not the end of the madness. We have not reached peak madness. We aren't even close. Every week I am astounded that things continually get crazier than they were the week before. And that's why I think we have to keep charging ahead, even through these doubts, even through these situations where our foundational beliefs come up and get challenged by this new information and this new understanding of the world presents itself. We have to keep looking on that front edge because otherwise we end up falling behind. And it's funny because people tell me about their friends who are awakening and they're like, well, man, uh, you know, they're just not going to be able to get in your show. They're not there yet. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I understand. I understand. And often that's why I advise people and tell them, hey, go back a year, go back 18 months. If these people have woken up on the Ukraine war, for instance, start them at my episodes in mid-February of 2022 so that they will see what I was thinking about and talking about. And through that understanding, I, of course, mean what the community at large was talking about, what information was coming in, I'm not saying I'm the creator of all this, but at least then they would have a chance of catching right on at a point in the informational timeline that makes sense for their level of current understanding. And again, that's just about information. It's not about intelligence. But the other part of that is people who tell me, hey, man, just focus on what's happening now, like in the news so that people have that point of reference. They're hearing about all these events. It's good if your perspective is applied to those events. But as I said before, I don't want to tell you what to think about events. I want to help you develop your own perspective. So when this new information comes along, you have your own map of reality that is forming in your mind from your perspective in a way that you can interpret these events on your own. 
because I am not an authority. I'm not an authoritative source. I'm trying to figure this out in real time. And I know that it's real hard to do that if I can't let go of some of these prior beliefs just because they feel like they are so set in. And before I wrap up this very long episode, let me just mention one more very strange occurrence. Last week in one of the congressional hearings, Representative Stacey Plaskett from the U.S. Virgin Islands, she was in the middle of making a statement or asking a question and behind her over her shoulder was a very strange looking woman who had her eyes wide open and seemed to be focused on something off screen, maybe something in the back of the room or up a little high. It was a very strange looking thing, but she was mouthing words and Stacy Plaskett was saying the words as this woman was mouthing them. Now, I'm not saying that the woman was putting words in Stacy Plaskett's mouth, but a lot of people see it that way. Perhaps they were both just reading off some script. Was there a teleprompter in the back of the room? I sure don't know. No one has reported on that. That would be very odd if the congressional representatives were reading their statements and questions off a teleprompter in the back of the room. But the video is very strange. I'm not sure it's fully explainable. We imagine that Plaskett's comments are fully spontaneous happening in the moment. Why and how would someone else know what she was about to say? And if there was no access to what she was about to say, what is this person doing? Just mimicking her in the background? Hey, maybe. Except today, one of Diane Feinstein's assistants or handlers was telling her that all she needed to say in the Senate was I. She needed to say I, like A-Y-E, I. And Feinstein wasn't quite getting it because Feinstein is old as hell and in terrible condition and absolutely should not be serving as a United States senator, except she's very old, she's very corrupt, and she is incredibly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party. Her driver of 20 years was a Chinese spy, and apparently everybody's just still okay with that. And not 24 hours before that, Mitch McConnell, who is quite old himself with a series of health problems, including that concussion he sustained a few months ago at a dinner and was then not seen or heard from for months. Well, he was up at a podium and he just stopped talking and had a blank stare for about 15 seconds. A senator, I believe, I think it was John Thune grabbed his elbow and began walking him off. Mitch McConnell seemed to have no idea where he was. Did he have a stroke? Was he hypnotized? Is he demented? We don't know what's going on. There's something going on, but we're not allowed to speculate because that's a conspiracy theory. What are we supposed to do with all this weirdness? What are we supposed to do when we are told these are our leaders? And despite the fact that they are unable physically and mentally to perform their job functions, they have to stay there because why? Because we elected them. John Fetterman in his hoodie and his shorts, unable to hear or think or speak. Well, we got to leave him there because we elected him and we can't call it election fraud because that's a conspiracy theory. And just to update, the current word is that Trump's attorneys have been told to expect an indictment, and that is as far as we have gotten at this point. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic, and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. 
If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!